Man, our new sermon series, Imperfect People, Perfect God. What's it look like for us as imperfect people to serve, to worship, to love the perfect God? And that's what this sermon series is all about. And last night, Daniel kicked us, last night, last week, uh, Daniel kicked us off and set up the groundwork of Christ versus culture. Are you going to be a college student that lives for Christ? Or let me change it. Are you going to be a believer that lives for Christ? Are you going to be somebody that lives for culture? One leads to fulfillment. The other leads to emptiness. And it is our choice of what we choose. And as the weeks go by, as we continue to go through this sermon series, we're going to get even more specific as it goes. And tonight we're going to talk about something that I don't think many of us think about a lot. Many of us have probably been there before in specific areas of our life. But tonight, as we continue through our sermon series, we're going to talk about something, and that is called Apathy. And the title of our message tonight is Apathy versus Desire. The title of our message tonight is Apathy versus Desire. And tonight we're going to be coming out of 2 Timothy chapter 4. (laughs) That doesn't sound like an apathetic Christian. Amen. We get excited about the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I'll define apathy in a little bit, but I want to start about. Think about somebody who's apathetic. I'll define it in a little while. For me, I think about when I was in high school. I played high school football. I played high school basketball. And I loved summer workouts for both of these sports because we had this thing called Max Week for football. And many of you heard me talk about this before. Many of you haven't. But Max Week, uh, at least where I played ball, I played ball at Barlett High School. Go Panthers. I'm, I'm, I'm a Panther till I die for real. Saluki until I die. Did two years at community college. And now I'm a Tiger. Amen. Um, that's my college career right there. Um, But we had this thing called Max Out Week. And some of y'all who played at Barlett or maybe you played at FACS or if you played at Christian Brothers for a little bit, uh, a little bit, this guy named Coach Stark, his name is Mike Stark. He used to play college football, but he also was a professional wrestler. Here's the thing about this dude. This, This guy was my strength coach, and I kid you not, this man was so big, if I put a sticky note in the back of his back, he couldn't reach it. See, I can, still, I can still reach my back, so I need to get bigger in the gym with my boys. I can still reach my back. This dude walked around like this. I'm telling you, I, I don't know how he washed his back. I don't know how he washed his head. This dude was an absolute animal. And he told me something in high school. He told all of our athletes something that still sticks with me today. And it applies to if you're working out. It applies to your job. It applies to the gym. But even more important, it applies to your walk with the Lord. If you want to become stronger, you have to surround yourself with people that are stronger than you. If you want to become stronger, if you want to get stronger, you have to surround yourself with people that are stronger than you. And so I think about this as I played high school football, as I played high school basketball. There's one thing that really annoyed me about playing sports. Every team, and you can apply this, every team, every workplace, every sorority, fraternity, the marching band, has those people that are just absolutely lazy. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Absolutely lazy. And here's the thing about it. A lot of people, I, I remember for me, this is what really annoyed me in high school. A lot of people where I played high school ball is that they wanted the jersey. They wanted to be a football player. They wanted to wear the jersey. They wanted to wear the basketball jersey and be a basketball player. They wanted the title, but they didn't want the responsibility that came with the title. And here's the thing about that. In football, at least, if you didn't show up to practice prepared, when it came game time, you'd get smacked in the mouth. When you want the title, but you don't want the responsibility, you're not going to be prepared when game time comes. 
See, it's real cool to have the jersey on Friday from 7 to 2 or even 7 to 4.30, but when it's time to put the jersey on the shoulder pads, time to put the helmet on, strap up, and try to go tackle somebody, it's not so cool anymore because you get hit in the mouth. Let's talk about it in the Christian world. We got a lot of Christians in the world that want the title, that have the title, but they don't take the responsibility serious. And I've been hitting the mouth before playing football. It doesn't feel good, but it's so much more serious with your walk with the Lord. When you get hit in the mouth by the world, what are you going to do? But it all comes down to do you take the responsibility of being a believer, a follower, a servant of Jesus Christ? Do you take it serious? Because here's the thing, man. We get passionate about things. I know dudes who are talking about their fantasy football league like it's their life. They talk about it, who they drafted. They talked about who, who's going to win the league. It's, it's all they talk about. They're passionate about it. They want to be good in it. They want to be faithful to it. Ladies, I'm going to be honest. I've asked some girls for some opinions. Ladies, y'all probably, I'm sorry to be stereotypical. Y'all get passionate about where y'all are shopping at. If I'm wrong, please tell me afterwards. But I know, ladies, y'all are passionate about specific things, and y'all talk about those things a lot. But when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, are we passionate about it? Do we take it serious? Because I know me, I'm a competitive guy. So when I played fantasy football, I wanted to win. But when it comes to your relationship with Jesus, do you want to win souls to Christ? Because fantasy football comes and it goes on to the next season. When somebody dies and they don't have a relationship with the Lord, there's no next season. There's no next life. You either have a relationship with the Lord and you get to spend eternity with him or you don't have a relationship with the Lord and you're eternally separated from him. And so tonight, as we talk about apathy versus desire, I want to ask my first question is for the Christians in the room. How serious do you take your relationship with the Lord? And for the other people in the room, say you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I ask you this question. What's keeping you from it? Because this is the thing I think about. I think, Christians, let me talk to you for a second. I think a lot of lost people in the world, I was thinking through this, a lot of lost people in the world don't want what we have because we're not excited about what we have. You have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, the life-changing person, Jesus Christ in your life, but you're not excited about that? Sure, the lost world doesn't want that. Because we're not excited about it. We have Christians walking with their shoulders rolled forward. Woe is me. This happened to me. This is not going my way. And the lost world is like, I don't want that. If you were at Awesome August on Wednesday, Fred Luter came and he talked about faith and how faith is an action. He's excited about his relationship with the Lord. He was hopping in the pulpit. I know Daniel and I, we're excited we're in the pulpit because we get to preach the word of God. And the word of God is what changed our lives. So for my Christians in the room, are you excited about your relationship with the Lord? Or do you walk around with your shoulders forward, woe is me, and miss people that are walking by you? And if I could put my sermon in a sentence, you know, we love sermons in a sentence here at The View. It'd be this right here. And it's a, it's a question. We're going to, school's back in session. Well, we're going we're gonna to evaluate some things tonight in our faith. We're going to ask some hard questions in our faith tonight. Because when you answer these questions truthfully, it will let you know if you're being apathetic in your faith or if you're desiring to know God more in your faith. Now, our sermon in the sentence tonight is this. Are you apathetic about your walk with the Lord or are you all in for your walk with the Lord. 
Can't have one foot in and one foot out. Are you apathetic about your walk with the Lord or are you all in for your walk with the Lord? Because let me tell you this, college students. One, one of the options being apathetic will lead to emptiness. The other one, being all in for your walk with the Lord, will lead to fulfillment. Which do you desire in your life? Like I said, we are so excited that you're here. This sermon series has been a part of our, this imperfect people, perfect God has been a part of our language for a long time. And Daniel and I, I'll refer to him as coach a lot. So if I say coach, I'm, unless I say another name, it's Coach Daniel for sure. It's my reverence for that guy. He's done a lot for me. We are so excited to walk through this because college students, I know you struggle with apathy. I can fall into the trap. But I also want to say, I know you desire God. There's just things that are pulling your attention away from him. There's things that are distracting you away from him. I say it all the time. I'm going to keep saying it until I'm not allowed to preach anymore. There's nothing good enough in this world that should take you away from your walk with the Lord. There's nothing good enough in this world that deserves more attention than your walk with the Lord. What do you get excited about in your life? Because if you don't get excited about Jesus, if you don't get excited about Bible reading, if you don't get excited about prayer, if you can't get excited about the spiritual disciplines, if you can't get excited about God doing something in you, don't be shocked when you're not excited about doing things for God through you. You got to be excited about this first. It starts right here. Matthew 7, 18 through 20 says this right here. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them, the believers, by their fruit. Cause I'm super excited to walk through our passage tonight because Paul gives us a warning. He gives Timothy a warning about how we have to stand up against the false truth, the culture that we're living in, in our college day. So, man, let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into God's word. Heavenly Father, you're good, Lord. God, thank you for you. God, thank you for a room full of college students that have come together tonight. Lord, we are here to worship you. We are here to lift high the name of Jesus. God, and we are here to get a word from you. God, I pray that all distractions would be removed from this place. God, Lord, I know school's back in session. I know work is going on. God, people have early mornings and late nights. God, assignments are coming. Lord, it just feels like they can't keep their head above water, God. But I I pray we would hear from you tonight, God. Lord, that you would move mountains in this room tonight, God. You would break chains. Lord, I pray you'd break chains in the believer's life, God. I pray that we wouldn't have apathetic believers, God, but we'd have believers that are on fire for Jesus Christ. But, Lord, also I pray for the people that don't know you personally, God. Lord, I pray that they would taste and see that you are good, Lord. God, that they would see Christians get excited about living for you and falling more in love with you, God. And they would ask, I want some of that. And, God, they would repent of their sins. They would believe in you as Lord and Savior, God, and they would receive you into their life. God, thank you for what we get to do, Lord. Thank you for our worship team. Thank you for these college students, Lord. God, I pray we would continue to grow in more to be like Jesus. God, we love you. Speak through your words tonight, God. And if you agree with that prayer, say amen. Amen. So look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. And God's word says this right here. 
I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Excuse me. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. College students, point number one tonight is the apathetic Christian is shifted by the lies of culture. The apathetic Christian is shifted by the lies of culture. And as, as Coach preached on last week, as Coach Daniel preached on last week, he talked about Christ versus culture and how you have to live one way. We saw um, in our passage last week how the culture just screamed for Barabbas, screamed for Barabbas, and they missed Jesus. And so many times in your life, college students, people are going to scream at you and tell you to live for the culture But every time you fall into that trap, every time you shift to live for the culture, you're going to be left empty. But when you live for Christ, I'm telling you, when you live for Christ, you are satisfied, you are fulfilled, and God's promises come alive in your life. But you got to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so, like I said, I'd say we define apathy. This won't be on the screen, but if you, the definition of apathy, as I looked it up, is showing or feeling no interest, enthusiasm, or concern. So a lack of enthusiasm, a lack of concern, having no interest. Once you think about that for a moment, where in your life are you being apathetic? It can be in multiple areas of your life, but is, if it's in your relationship with the Lord, if you're being apathetic about your relationship with the Lord, you are playing a dangerous game and you are in a dangerous spot. Because as I said, are you enthusiastic about Jesus, but also are you concerned about other people coming to know Jesus? Let's answer some hard questions tonight. From the start of our passage tonight, Paul's given a charge or a push to Timothy. This is Paul. This is one of Paul. This is Paul's last letter to Timothy before Paul goes to be executed. And our passage says that Jesus will judge the living and the dead because of his appearing and his kingdom. Romans 5, 17 and 18 say this right here. If by the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the overflow of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So then as though one trespass, there is condemnation for everyone. So also through one righteous act, there's justification leading to life for everyone. 1 Peter 4, 5 says they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. When you know the seriousness of sin, when you know the seriousness of judgment that's coming, you will not be apathetic about your faith. You will get enthusiastic and you will have concern for the people that don't love Jesus. In verse 2, Paul is telling Timothy how to prepare and how to get ready for what is ahead, for what is ahead. And that is Timothy is to preach the word. 
Timothy's not to share his opinion like a lot of college students do on U of M's campus, like a lot of college students do at CBU or Southwest or in trade school or wherever. It, you are to preach the word. Timothy is supposed to preach the word, not his opinion or what he thinks. And all through 2 Timothy, this is so cool in my study, Paul emphasized emphasis on the word of God to Timothy has been very constant. There's an emphasis on the word of God. If you want to know truth, you have to know the word of God. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. You want to know truth, know Jesus. Paul points to Tim, Paul's point to Timothy and to us is very clear. I hope you're ready to write because I got all these cross references for you. 2 Timothy 1.8. So don't be ashamed. That's another sermon. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel relying on the power of God. Do you rely on the power of God in your walk with the Lord? 2 Timothy 1.13, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. Sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And a verse we all know, the verse we all think about, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is inspired by God. I love Brother Steve. He says all means all, and that's what all means. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. As a, pa as a pastor, Timothy was not required to just know the word or like the word, or prove the word, Timothy was required to preach the word of God. Timothy had no room to be an apathetic pastor. He had no room to lack enthusiasm about the word of God or to lack concern about the people around him. And we as believers have no room to be an apathetic believer. Not everybody becomes a pastor. I understand that. Not everybody in this room will become a pastor or work on a church staff or be called to full-time ministry. But every believer needs to know how to teach the word. Dakota, why do you say that? 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 24. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach, and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. God's word says the Lord's servant should be able to teach. But my question is, do you teach the word of God to other people? How much do you care about people? Some of you in the room think you need a platform to influence people. Some of you may think, oh, if I just got to right here, then I could influence people. That is so backwards. That is so wrong because your platform is the people in your life. But the question is, are you using the platform in your life to reach the people? Or are you using the people in your life trying to reach a platform? Because if you're not reaching the people in your life, what do you expect? Where do you expect when you get to your career, when you get to another job, when you get to another location, you think you'll reach them? If you're desiring a platform, you will be left empty. But if you are desiring Jesus Christ, you will be fulfilled. And I'm telling you, God can use you. Hear me say that. Daniel says it. God can use you. Do you believe it, though? Because if you seek a platform, once you get to that platform, then what? 
But man, if you seek Jesus Christ with all that you have, I'm telling you, you'll get all that you need. All through scripture, all through scripture, man, you see when God calls somebody, not only does he equip them, but he provides for them in the calling. God knows your life better than you know your life. Understand that God created you. God brought you into this world. Last time I preached, Job chapter one, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Man, naked I came into this world, naked I leave. Job chapter one, verses 20 through 22. Man, God knows and has numbered your days. He knows what you will do. But will you, you have the choice, you have free will to choose to live for him or to live for the culture. Because I know there are things in your life that y'all care about. There are things in your life that you get passionate about. The question we all have to answer is, are we passionate enough to tell people about Jesus and what he has done in our life? Think about it. Like I said, you don't need a platform to reach people, but the people in your life are your platform. Daniel says it all the time, and I love this. And not to put him on a pedestal, but he says from the stage all the time that he didn't start preaching the word of God when he got to the stage. No, he started preaching the word of God when he was one-on-one with God's. And I can very clearly remember this. He'll remember it too. I was struggling. Man, my brother, I was struggling with my brother. I want him to love Jesus. And I was talking to my, I was talking to coach about it. We were at a Wendy's parking lot, I think on Poplar Avenue. A Wendy's parking lot in Poplar Avenue. We were sitting on the curb, sitting on the yellow curb right there. And Daniel shared the full gospel with me because I was a person in his life. And he used that as his platform to share Jesus with me. And as he was faithful to share with people, God led him and called him to preach from this platform. But here's the thing. This might not be all of yours platforms. Your platform might be in the hospital as a nurse. Your platform might be as a coach on the football field, on the basketball court. Your your platform might be you as an engineer. Your platform might be you as whatever you're doing. But are you sharing with the people in your life right now? Ask the Dakota, how do I share with the people in my life right now? My D group, I love my D group. I talk about them all the time. We share our here journals with each other every single day. When we're, it helps us stay accountable, number one. But number two, I know what my guys are learning in the Bible, and they also know what I'm learning in the Bible. But here's the thing. Do, do you have the faith? Do you have the care? Do you have the concern? Do you have the enthusiasm to say, hey, Jake, can I tell you what God taught me today in my Bible reading? Because once you start doing that, I'm telling you, I am telling you, I'm not a salesman. Brother Steve says we are satisfied customers. When you start sharing Jesus with other people, they're going to want to know more. Because people have questions about Jesus. People have questions about believers, but they don't have the answers because they don't see the believers living how they're supposed to. Stop pursuing a platform and start pursuing people. Pursue Jesus Christ. Stop pursuing a platform. When you pursue Jesus, he'll give you a heart to pursue people because God, oh man, I wish I I knew the reference off the top of my head, but God's word says he draws all people near to himself. He draws all people near to himself. God desires for people to be saved. Do you? Do you care? Are you enthusiastic about it? And the definition to preach, a lot of people get this, get confused when the Bible says preach. To preach is to, to, to preach is to declare what God has to say to his people. Or one of my buddies explained it to me as it's to proclaim the word of God. And it's to exhort them to act on that by believing and obeying. 
And we can't miss this very important word. Don't miss the word act. You have to exhort them to act on that by believing and obeying. When we hear the word of God preached, there needs to be a response. When you hear the word of God preached, there has to be a response. And Daniel's taught me and coached me and showed me how to preach the word. And I'm forever grateful to that. And I love learning from him and other guys. Preaching includes reading the word, explaining the word, and applying it. You don't need a stage like this to do that in somebody's life. If you, don't, if, you, if you want to know what a hear journal is, come talk to my team tonight. Because a hear journal is you highlighting God's word, underlining it. It's you explaining the biblical content of it. It's you applying it to your life. And then the last part is you have to respond to it. If you want to know more about that, man, please come talk to our team. Because the word of God demands a response. And here's the thing about an apathetic Christian. I wrote this in my notes. An apathetic Christian doesn't take action in their faith. An apathetic Christian doesn't take action in their faith. Or I'll say it this way. An apathetic Christian doesn't apply God's word in their life. Are you one of them? An apathetic Christian doesn't apply God's word in their life. Ask yourself the question, how can I avoid apathy in my walk with the Lord? Apply God's word. Apply God's word. Apathy towards the word and application of the word can't happen at the same time. And here's the thing, college students, we don't like access to the Bible. We lack application of the Bible. Think about that. We don't lack access to the Bible. We lack application of the Bible. Many of you in here walked in this room tonight with a Bible. Praise God for that. If you don't have a Bible, please come talk to my team. We would love to give you a Bible. We could eat. We would love to give you a Bible and show you how to read it. But for some of us in the room tonight, we came in here with our Bible, but have we opened our Bible today? Have we read the Word of God today? Have you prayed today? Brother Steve, Coach Daniel, he says it all the time that I've heard, man, they, they've put it into my brain and I believe it fully that a prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. And I'm not here to make you feel bad. I'm not here to, to beat you up about it. I'm here to encourage you that the word of God will change your life. But will you, will you utilize the access of God's word in your life? Will you apply God's word in your life? Ask yourself the, this question right here. If you want to know how to apply God's word, this is the question you're asked. What does this passage ask me to do right now? What can I do with God's word in my life right now? And James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. But not only that, Timothy wasn't only to preach the word. Timothy was ready to be in, he was to be ready in season and out of season. The mean, this meaning that he was to be ready at all times. College students, when it comes to sharing Jesus, when it comes to telling people about the Lord, there's no preseason, regular season, postseason, off season. It's in season and out of season. 
You have to be ready at all times. It doesn't matter if it's easy to share the word of God in this moment. It doesn't matter if it's hard to share the word of God in this moment. You are to be ready in season and out of season. You are to be ready to share, to teach, to preach, to explain the word of God at all times. Timothy needed to be ready to rebuke, correct, and encourage And he needed to be ready to do all these things because of what verse 3 warns him of. And I'm going to read verse 3 again. Paul's warning was this. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. Romans 15.4 says this right here, for whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. Colossians, where do you get your encouragement from? Do you allow the word of God to encourage you or do you run to something of this world to encourage you? Instead, they would turn to their, to their own desires and would multiply false teachers for themselves And you may, I asked the question as I was studying, why would anybody do this? The answer is because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And as Paul, as Paul warns Timothy about the time that will come, does that time sound familiar? Because that time's happening right now. I know we do campus ministry at the University of Memphis and we are praying to get back to Southwest and back to CBU as soon as we can. Man, if you are free from 11 to 1 and you want to learn how to share Jesus, come to campus ministry with us. Because I guarantee you, it is so crazy. I say this all the time. I love it. I believe it. It is so true. It is so crazy that believers think they don't have opportunity to share the gospel. It's not the fact that we don't have opportunity. It's the fact that we lack obedience to share the gospel. You have so many opportunities to share Jesus. So many But my question is, are you looking for him? Are you seeking him out? Are you praying for opportunities to share Jesus? Well, let me go back to our definition of apathy. Do you lack enthusiasm for it? Do you lack concern for it? Because when you're concerned about something, that will will cause you to do something about it. When you're concerned about something, you'll do something about it. Are you concerned about people coming to know Jesus? Jesus. Do you stand for your faith in Jesus or are you swayed in your faith with Jesus because of culture? Do you stand on the word of God or do you stand on the world? Because like I said at the beginning, if you stand for God, you can take the hits and keep going. But if you stand for the world, you're going to get smacked. You're going to get knocked down. And it's going to be very hard to get up. But when you're standing on the word of God, the firm foundation, when you get smacked, you have a reason to keep going. You have a hope, you have encouragement, you know your purpose because the word of God tells you so. Sinful people don't naturally run towards what is holy and righteous. We have a problem and that is sin. And I'll talk more about that, man. We have a problem and it is sin. So the world wants to bring us away. It wants us to be as far away from the Lord as as it possibly can get us. But man, God, he is sitting there. He is waiting for you to come right to him. Because when you repent of your sins, when you ask, God, I am sorry for my mistakes. I ask for forgiveness of what I've done. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. He's just waiting for you to come to him. He's never left you. It's us that left him. When you choose sin over God, that is you choosing to leave the Lord and choose sin. God doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. He doesn't abandon you. 
It's us that leaves God and abandons the faith because it gets hard, because we get lazy. Don't be that lazy Christian. Don't be swayed by the opinion of the world, but stand firm in the truth of God. And I think about this when it talks about an itch. This makes me think about when I was younger. Growing up, a responsibility I had at the house was yard work. I'm be honest. I've talked to two pastors before, and I asked them, man, what do y'all do for fun? And one of them said yard work, and I don't know why, but that is his fun. That is his fun, and he enjoys it. Praise God. I'm going to call him when I need some yard work done. But I live in an apartment right now. Praise the Lord. But when I was younger, I had a responsibility. It was me, my stepdad, and my older brother. We had a, we had a system. I cut the front yard. My brother cut the backyard. And then my stepdad, he did the bushes, and he, he did the trimming, the edging, all that good stuff. And then when fall came, we had to get the leaves out of the yard. That was miserable because when it starts to rain, it's hard to get wet leaves off the yard when it starts to rain. My boys that do landscaping, y'all know how that feels. But as I got older, the responsibility for me to do the yard work got more and more and more. And so I started to learn how to do everything else. And then my brother, he went to the military. And then it kind of became me doing the front yard, the backyard. I love my stepdad. He taught me a lot. I love him. I respect him. But there for a minute, I did all the yard work, unfortunately. But But it taught me something. We had this big old bush. My mom's here tonight. She, she knows about this. We had this big old bush on the side of our house. And we used to trim it. We used to pull it. We used to cut it to make it look. Because once, once it got out of control, my, my mom, I knew my mom was upset when the bushes were out of control. So I, to make mom happy, I got the bushes under control. But our bushes had something that I was allergic to. I, I realized it as I had this red rash on my arm, and it just had this itchy feeling. My parents came to find, find out that I'm allergic to poison ivy. And I don't, my stepdad's not allergic to, for some reason. So some of you might be allergic to poison ivy. Some of you might not be. If you are allergic, you will, you will understand this. If you're not, be grateful. Because let me tell you something. Poison ivy went, or poison oak, whichever one. But I'm allergic to poison. I don't think I've ever had poison oak. Poison ivy, I remember as I, as I started to get older and do more of the yard work, more of the bushes and stuff like that, the day I noticed is this big red rash started to grow on my arm. And, man, let me tell you something. You ever have that feeling of an itch on your body and you just can't reach it or you can't find it? Well, let me tell you something. That is poison ivy on on steroids times 10 because it's everywhere and you just want to constantly itch it. You want to constantly scratch it. But here's the thing. With poison ivy, the more you scratch it, the more it spreads. And it gets disgusting. I didn't put a picture up there because I wanted to save us. It's like red blisters and stuff like that. You get, if you want to look up poison ivy later, you do that yourself. I'm going to save us the, the disgusting part for the night. But the more you scratch poison ivy, the more it spreads. But as I talked to my mom, I was like, Mom, how do I get rid of this? How do I, what, am I gonna, what do we do? If I wanted it to go away, I had to stop scratching, and I needed medicine to take care of it. Let me tell you something. If you have poison ivy, I'm not, I'm not a med student. I'm not a doctor by any means. But calamine lotion will be your best friend. Calamine lotion, me and, me and that bottle had a great relationship when I had poison ivy. And my mom probably still has some at the crib right now. Wherever the poison ivy was, calamine lotion was placed and the poison ivy went away. When I found out I was allergic to poison ivy, I did what I needed to do so I could get rid of it. And once it was finally gone, I did something very smart and very simple. I stayed away from poison ivy. My stepdad got back out and started doing the bushes again. But here's the thing, college students. We need believers that are allergic to false teaching, not apathetic towards it. You see, if for me with poison ivy, if I just let it sit there and kept scratching it, it would keep spreading. 
for my believers in the room, if you just let false teaching be shared and you don't say anything about it, you are letting it spread and not doing anything about it. Are you allergic towards false teaching or are you apathetic towards it? Because if you're allergic towards it, it's going to make you do something about it. But if you're apathetic towards false teaching, you're going to say, oh, maybe I'll say something next time. But what if you don't see that person again? What if, I'm telling you, man, coach used to tell me and my roommates this all the time when we were living together. Your four years of college goes by in the blink of an eye. Some of you are seniors in the room tonight, and we knew each other as freshmen. The people that you have in your class this semester, you might not have them in your class next semester. But not only that, the people in your class this semester, you might be the only glimpse of following Jesus they see. How will you show them that you follow Jesus? Are you allergic to the false teaching or are you apathetic towards it? Do you just allow people to hear what they want to hear? Let them scratch what they want to hear? Let that grow and spread? Or do you take the calamine lotion? Do you take the word of God and get rid of false teaching and pour truth in people's lives? You have a choice to follow Jesus, to either A, you're either apathetic about your walk with the Lord, or B, you're on fire for your walk with the Lord. False teaching should annoy you enough to do something about it. We need believers who will lovingly replace false teaching with truthful preaching. We need to hear the word of God preached faithfully. And let me share a reminder with you. Just because a teacher is popular doesn't mean they're the most faithful teachers. You, when Coach and I preach up here every Monday, you know what we encourage you to do? Take what we preached on and go look at Scripture yourself for what it says. You want to talk about applying God's Word, learning God's Word? What we preach about on a Monday night, you go study it for yourself and see how you can apply it for your life. Because I promise you, every time I preach, I'm sending my sermon to Daniel. Coach, how's it look, man? And I know, I, know, I know it's truthful because it lines up with God's word. It's not my opinion. And coach, I have the opportunity to read his sermons. And man, we apply it to our lives. And verse 4 warns Timothy that people will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. 1 Timothy 4, 7, but have nothing to do with pointless and silly myths. Rather, train yourself in godliness. Train yourself. In godliness. I love, I love that part of the verse. Train yourself in godliness. You have to put in work. You have to work at it to be more like Jesus. You have to sit down and read your Bible. You need to spend time in prayer. You need to meditate on scripture. You don't have to work for your salvation, praise God. Jesus did the work for us on the cross. And we don't have to work our way to heaven, but he came down and did the work for us. But if you want to be like Jesus, you have to know Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to know what Jesus says to the believers, to what he calls us to, what he commands us to. You have to train yourself to be like Jesus. Because if you're not training yourself to be like Jesus, who are you training yourself to be like? Who do you mimic your life after? Because I know all of us have people in, in our life that we look up to. Does that person love and follow Jesus? And comparison is a whole nother sermon. The only person you need to be comparing yourself to is Jesus Christ. 100% man, 100% God. And Tony Evans, I love what he says, the God man. You need to compare yourself to Jesus. And so many times Christians, you know what we do is we try to change the Bible to fit our life. And then when we, don't, we see it doesn't work, we try to change it even more. 
Christians, we have to take our life and change it to fit the Bible, not the other way around. Because God's word is God's word. God's word is truth. And if you want truth in your life, you've got to have Jesus in your life. Look with me as we finish, as we read the rest of our passage. And it talks about on the flip side of that. Paul writes to Timothy in verse 5, it says, But as for you, exercise self-control in everything, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Verse 6 says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Verse 8, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. So the the opposite of an apathetic Christian is point number two. The Christian that desires Christ will stand on truth. Sorry. The Christian that desires Christ will stand on truth. In verse 5, Paul tells Timothy how to live differently from the rest of the culture. This is what in everything. Do you have self-control in every part of your life? Do you endure hardship when life gets hard, when sharing Jesus gets hard, when loving your family gets hard? Do you keep going or do you get lazy? Do you lose concern? Do you lose enthusiasm? Here's one we all need to answer. Do you share the gospel? Are you actively sharing the gospel with people in your life? And are you fulfilling your ministry? There are people in your life that my team will never get to meet and never get to talk to. And there's people in our lives that you'll never get to meet, that you'll never get to talk to. You could be the only glimpse of Jesus Christ they see. What glimpse are you giving them? Answering these questions truthfully will show us what we desire. Let me encourage you, college students. We can't control the response of people to the truth of the gospel. We can't control how they respond. We're responsible for sharing, not saving. But what we can do is we can commit ourselves to faithfully preaching the gospel. But will you do that? Will you faithfully commit yourself to preach the gospel to the lost people in your life? Will you faithfully pray over that person that doesn't love Jesus in your life? But it starts with your relationship with the Lord. You need to be enthusiastic. You should be excited about what Jesus has done in your life. And you should tell people about that. I mean, Fred Luter on Wednesday said, faith requires telling. You need to go tell somebody about what Jesus is doing in your life. Are you telling people? Are, do you share your testimony with people? I'm saying, man, you know what's such a great way to get into the gospel is? Tell somebody how Jesus changed your life. Because your testimony, here's the thing about your testimony. Your testimony is not about you anyways. It, your testimony is about how Jesus changed you. So many times, man, when I first started sharing my testimony, I focused so much on this is how I was before Christ. I did this, I did that, trying to make me look like the worst person in the world. But it's not about that. When I share my testimony now, it's the, the, the first part of how I was before Christ is the shortest part of my testimony. 
The part I focus on is June 2017, when I called on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. When I heard that pastor say, people will twist scripture to fit their lifestyle. When I heard that, I knew I, knew I was on my way to eternity separated from the Lord. So what I did at a, at a Beach Week table, many of you have been to Beach Week, at that little picnic table in the cold cafeteria, I sat across from somebody. He shared the gospel with me. I repented of my sins. I believed in Jesus Christ. And I received him into my life as my personal Lord and Savior at 18 years old. And I haven't looked back ever since. Jesus changed my life. He can change your life. Jesus changed our college pastor's life. Jesus changed our senior pastor's life. Jesus changed the people leading worship. Jesus changed their lives. My question is, are you going to receive him into your life as your personal Lord and Savior? You can do that tonight. And in verse 6, Paul's getting ready to be poured out as a drink offering. That's what he says. Um, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Paul uses Old Testament imagery to describe his upcoming death. Just as drink offerings were poured out to God on the altar, the apostle recognized that his life was being poured out. Poured out has this idea of complete giving with no reservation. The liquid is completely emptied from the cup and totally given to God. But here's the thing, college students, you can't pour out completely to God if you aren't being filled up by God. It's hard to pour out for God. It's hard to do the things of God if you're not being filled up by God. If you're pulling from an empty cup, if you're pouring, trying to pour out and your cup's empty, what, you're not giving anything. But man, when you're filled up by God's word, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, as you pour out and then you go back to God, he continues to fill up and then you pour out. But you won't be able to pour out for God. You can't pour out for God until you are poured into by God. It starts with your personal relationship with Jesus. And Paul was sitting in a Roman prison awaiting his execution. Look at what Paul writes in Philippians. Philippians 2 verses 14 through 18 says this right here. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul could confidently say he has given everything to Christ because he desired Christ on this, in his earthly life. This is, let me, let's read about Paul's mindset in Philippians 1, 21 through 24. Many of us know this. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what Paul writes in Philippians 1, 21. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart to be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Is that your mindset as you live on earth? Is that your mindset as you're in college? At the end of your college days, when you are walking across that stage for graduation, let me tell you again, it comes so quick. Will you be able to say you poured everything you have out for Christ in college? If you can't give college completely over to the Lord, do you really think you'll give your career completely over to him? 
So many of us in college worry about what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. So many of us in college worry about if we're going to have a wife or if we're going to have a husband. But we let all those worries. A few weeks ago, Jim Cimbala came and preached on worry. Worry is displeasing to God. We are so worried about the things of the world that we're not worried about the things of Christ. Focus your eyes back on Jesus. College students, what do you desire tonight? What do you desire tomorrow morning? I think about it this way. As your coach last week shared an illustration or an example about me benching 405, and I, I did get to do that successfully at the end of April. But here, here's the thing. I didn't wake up one day and just desire to bench press 405 pounds. My, my, sister, my sister knows, my family knows, the guys that I work out with. 2018 Dakota looks a lot different than 2022 Dakota. And 2018 Dakota ate a lot less than 2022 Dakota. But anyways, that's besides the point. I didn't wake up just one day. And my mom's probably, when I moved out, she was like, I don't have to cook less. Because later, me and my brother in the house together, she was feeding four people. And we still had a younger sister to, to let her eat too. I didn't wake up just one day and want to say, you know what? I want to bench 405 pounds. No, it came from time. And in college, my freshman year of college, I met one of my best friends. His name is Zach Pollen. And he kind of took me, he's one of the many guys, him, uh, Daniel, as many of y'all know, and another guy, Andrew Bryant. Those are three big guys in my life that are old, that or have, are still older than me, obviously. I'm not catching up with them in age or anything. I'm not going to be 28 tomorrow, I promise that. Um, <laughs> um, those are three guys that, have, that are older than me and that took me under their wing and they taught me the word of God. They taught me how to love Jesus. They taught me how to read the word. They taught me how to pray. Man, I got to live with all three of those guys. And let me tell you something. Going back to the beginning intro, um, if you want to become stronger, you have to surround yourself with people that are stronger than you. Let me tell you something. It's really hard to be apathetic in your faith when you are surrounded by other people that are on fire for their faith. It was really hard, man. I remember waking up in the morning and we, we all had, it was so cool where we used to live in 2018 through through, um, I think like 2021, 2020, I can't remember off the top of my head. We lived there a long time. We all had our own desk. It was so, it was so cool for me as a 19-year-old to wake up and all my roommates were reading their Bible. What? I wanted that. I was like, fellas, man, why are y'all doing this? And as I, as I got saved right out of high school, I went into college. I, I fell off. Didn't really know how to live for the Lord, so I fell back into some of my, to my old patterns. But, man, when I surrounded myself with other people on fire for Jesus, I, I desired it more. And Zach Pond's one of the guys that took me under his wing. And I remember when I first started reading my Bible, I just started where he was reading. We started reading in 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Then we went through Philippians, Colossians, and Ephesians. And let me tell you something. As I first started reading the Bible, I had no idea what was going on because I, never, I haven't read the, full, the Bible in full before. Let me tell you something. Man, you have to read Old Testament all the way to New Testament if you want a full picture of Scripture. So many times I hear people say, oh, man, I, man, I just read the New Testament. The Old Testament is not important anymore. False. If you understand the Old Testament, you'll understand the New Testament in a brand new way, in a brighter way too. Man, I tell people, as you read through Genesis all the way through Revelation, if you want a full picture of God, you need to read all of his word. 
You need to read through the full Bible if you want a full picture of God, man, because he reveals himself. This is how cool God is. This is how loving and caring God is. He reveals himself through his word. And as I worked out with Zach more and more, I started to get stronger. I I started to desire it more. But like I said, I didn't just hop under the bench one day and say, all right, let's put four plates on, Zach. No, I started with 225, and then I climbed to 275. And then I climbed to 315 and then 365. And little by little, I finally hit 405. But here's the thing. The more I was around Zach Pollan, Andrew Bryant, Daniel Harris, uh, the more I was around those guys, the more I desired to be like Christ. The more I was in the gym, the more consistent I was, the stronger I got. It's the same exact way in your relationship with the Lord. The more you spend time in God's word, the more your heart will line up, the more your desires will line up with the things of God. But the question is, do you put the time in into the things of God? Do you put the time into Bible reading? Do you put the time in to prayer? Because let me tell you something, me benching four or five is cool and all, but that has nothing to do with the kingdom. That has no kingdom impact, but you reading the word of God, you praying and telling people about what God is teaching you, that can have a kingdom impact. Do you believe that though? Are you excited about spending time in God's word? Do you desire to be more like Jesus? Do you desire to sit at his feet and pray? The most humble thing you can do is lay on your face and pray to God, because that is you saying, God, I cannot do this on my own. I need your intervention. If you want to look at a proper way to pray, go look at Luke chapter 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Don't pray like the Pharisee, pray like the tax collector. Man, he saw, he was with the Lord. He was praying to God. Man, get on fire for the things of God. If you want to pour out for Jesus Christ, you must be filled up by him. And as Paul writes, he, fin- he has ran the race, he has finished the race, he has fought the good fight, he has kept the faith. It is not enough to just start the Christian race. It's not enough to just run the race. As believers, we must finish the race. And as Paul writes his final letter, he isn't thinking about what he hasn't done. Paul didn't have a sense of incompleteness. College students, Christ can get you to the finish line, but are you focusing your attention on him? Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 says this right here. Therefore, since we also have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that is so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 8, Paul knows that the crown of righteousness is waiting for him. And there are two main words for crown in the New Testament. One refers to a royal crown and the other to the victor's crown. And here in 2 Timothy 4, Paul was referring to the victor's crown. And that day, winners in the world of sports received a crown of olive or ivy, but the leaves would soon die and wither away. But the crown for God's people lasts forever. I have two more verses for you. 1 Corinthians 9.25. Now, now everyone who competes exercises self-control and everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. 
In 1 Peter 5, 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Paul could say he has kept the faith. Paul can say he has ran and finished his race. He has fought the good fight because he desired Jesus Christ. College students, do you desire Jesus Christ?